I agree. It's always uh, we've said it before, but it's a great pleasure to listen to the the kids sing, and it, that's those not are not simple songs. You know, you learn theology when you're singing those songs, so it's it's great. Really. It really is. The question it was good. It it brought up a lot of the a lot of the introduction I was going to talk about. We've spent with the youth group better part of the last eight months in the book of Proverbs. And I was glad to be going into Proverbs because it's not a book I'd spend a lot of time in. You know, pieces here and there, but not not a full-on study for eight months and working our way through it. Like was mentioned tonight, the Hebrew poetry is filled with imagery that just sticks in your mind. It's imagery that really comes to life. And I'm convinced that we're missing out on a lot because we don't have a grasp on, on Hebrew. We don't have a grasp. And yet, even in the English transla- translation, it's still a tremendous to look at this. That's where, you know, when the elders sort of pushed me and said, have a message, it made sense to stay in Proverbs. We think of Proverbs a lot. We think of teaching topically, which is right. A lot of Proverbs, from like 10 on, is topics. And those topics are whether it's morality or marriage or friendship or money. There's a lot of topics that you can go through. It's different in the first nine chapters, as you read them. The first nine chapters of Proverbs is, is what's called, or can be considered, wisdom speeches. They're long, it's poetry, but it's still longer. It's, it's wisdom trying to argue. It's, it's Solomon arguing for why to choose wisdom. And that's really one of the themes tonight, is the fact that we need to choose. You know, we have to choose this. It's not a simple choice. You know, we would stand here and think that choosing wisdom is a no-brainer. I'm going to choose wisdom. Why would, I, why would I choose folly? Why wouldn't I choose wisdom? But it's not that way. Because our hearts don't want to choose wisdom. Our hearts want to move towards what's simple, what's easy, what's instantly gratifying. Right? It's, choosing wisdom is not something simple. It's something we need to be focused on. And that's why there's a lot. There's nine chapters of why to choose wisdom. And tonight, there's three considerations that I'd like us to consider as, as we walk through this. Um, the first is, I mentioned, you need to choose wisdom, and it's not easy. The second is that we're all on a path, and I've said this to the kids, we're all walking a path. It doesn't matter whether you're a young child at home or uh, a high school or a college student that's, that's now more in the world, more exposed to the temptations of the world. Parents, elders, it, we're all on a path somewhere, right? That path exposes us to challenges day in and day out. And it's the argument of Proverbs to stay focused on what is God's plan for us, how he wants us to walk each day. And thirdly, as we walk through Proverbs, and I, I remember that the perfect fulfillment of wisdom is in Jesus Christ. We know it, but we want to stay focused on that. Wisdom is fulfilled in Christ. As necessary and helpful as Proverbs is, praise God that we live on this side of the cross. That by God's grace, we can see how these truths are fulfilled in Christ. In Luke 11.31, Jesus says, The queen of the south shall rise up with the men of this generation at the judgment and condemn men and condemn them. Because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Behold, something greater than Solomon is here. As we consider these three themes tonight, for those that can stand, would you stand with me as we read Proverbs chapter 9? Proverbs chapter 9 says, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. She has prepared her food. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her maidens. She calls from the tops of the heights of the city. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. To him who lacks understanding, she says, Come, eat of my food and drink of the wine I have mixed. Forsake your folly and live and proceed in the way of understanding. 
He who corrects a scoffer gets dishonor for himself, and he who reproves a wicked man gets insults for himself. Do not reprove a scoffer lest he hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase his learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years of life will be added to you. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself, and if you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman of folly is boisterous. She is naive and knows nothing. And she sits at the doorway of her house, on a seat by the high places of the city, calling to those who pass by, who are making their path straight. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks understanding, she says, Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that our guests are in the depths of Sheol. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we look into your word tonight, Lord, we pray that, uh, that you would open our eyes, that you'd soften our hearts, Lord, that you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged, Lord, and you would challenge us where we need to be challenged, Lord. This is your word, Lord, and we pray, Lord, that, uh, that you would, again, your spirit would work in us and guide us in these thoughts, Lord, for your glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So in order to get the context, we're going to back up and look at a few verses. So back up to Proverbs chapter 1. And we're going to look at a few few verses here in Proverbs 1. Proverbs 1 shows us that the, it says in verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. So there are actually five authors of Proverbs. But when we think of Proverbs, we think of Solomon. The vast majority is attributed to Solomon. And verses 2 through 6, they give the purpose and the audience that Proverbs is focused on. It says, to know wisdom and instruction, verse 2, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth knowledge and direction. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. So here we have the purpose of the book and its audience. And you can see, at least in, in my translation, like in verse 2, it says to know. And it says to receive, to give. To know could be translated in order to know. Now that's a purpose statement. In order to know wisdom and instruction. In order to discern the sayings of the wise. So again, it's laying out the purpose that Solomon was putting the book together. To know means to become aware of. To become aware of. To realize or to experience it's a personal acceptance to the teachings of Proverbs. To know is personal acceptance. You've accepted it. You agree with it. You've treasured it in your heart. Verse 3 says, to receive instruction in the wise. That's our responsibility. Our responsibility is to receive instruction. To accept, to embrace. And, and here's the key. And this is, this is will be carried on tonight. The key is, it's a willingness to be instructed. It's not natural for us to want to be instructed. It's not natural to be told, you need to be doing this differently. Proverbs is going to do this, and we need to be receive that. It's a willingness to be instructed. Verse 4 is the teacher, to give prudence. The teacher could be a father. We see the father speaking to the son. We also see the mother. It could be a teacher talking to a student. But the bottom line is, the teacher of Proverbs, is their point is to give the instruction. They are responsible to use these problems to give prudence and knowledge and discretion, as verse 4 says. 
Prudence to the naive, it could be translated prudence to the gullible. It could be naive, it could be gullible. And if we're honest, this can be any of us at times. Whenever we sin, we have acted in a naive or a gullible way. To the youth, the main audience of Proverbs is to train up the youth, to train up the young men of Israel uh, to be future leaders. And in verse 5, we see a wise man will hear. It's also written to the wise, written to the youth, and it's written to the wise. And it says, and the wise man will hear. He'll hear the Proverbs and sayings and increase in his learning. Verse 7 is the theme. A few people mentioned it tonight. Verse 7 is the theme of Proverbs, and we know it, we can recite it. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Like I said, we know that, but the depths of this is tremendous. We could do a whole series on what it is to fear the Lord and how that is the beginning of, of knowledge and wisdom. It's tremendous, but that's the theme. The fear of the Lord is mentioned 14 times in the book of Proverbs and as well as a number of other times throughout Scripture. So as we look at this, the first way that I want to look at is wisdom, right? A definition of wisdom. Many of us would, would look at wisdom and say it, wisdom could be called skillful living. It's to have a clear understanding of the various situations and being able to predict or even attempt to manipulate the way to achieve a particular ends that we are looking for. An earthly example that I have, and, and I'm by no means a carpenter, but I think it's, it's, a, it's a good example you start on a carpentry, you learn how to use a few tools, right? You learn how to use them safely, what they're for. You can read some plans. And you can get pretty skilled at the individual aspects. But you may never be considered a wise master builder. Because the wise master builder can take all those skills that he's learned and his experiences and then add in timing of the electrician, timing of the plumber, timing of the roofer, bring it all together. He's manipulating it. His wisdom allows it to bring it together. So at the end... You have a well-formed house. That's wisdom. That's taking the practical, skillful living and organizing it for a desired outcome. The next piece of that is the fear of the Lord. In one sense, the fear of the Lord is rational. Like was mentioned, it can be learned. Psalm 34.11 says, Come, you children, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. So it can be learned. Proverbs chapter 2 talks about that. There is also an emotional side. Of the fear of the Lord. This is a love and a respect. And many times the fear of the Lord is looked at as a reverential awe of God. Someone who is worthy of being worshipped. Once God opens our eyes by faith, we can truly see and gain uh, an insightful understanding and proper application of his Proverbs. If we don't have a fear of the Lord, then Proverbs is just morality. It's when we have a fear of the Lord and we have a respect for Him, when we've been converted, that's when Proverbs is, we can work that into our daily lives and honor God through it. And the fear of the Lord is the foundation. It's not something that once you, you're, you're born again and you have a fear of the Lord, that you can leave it behind. You can never leave the fear of the Lord behind. It's, it's the base that everything gets built upon. You know, a, a runner, you know, if you're going to be a marathon runner, you run that first mile, you probably never think about it again. But we can never walk away from the fear of the God. It has to be the foundation that directs our daily actions. And it's also, it's like, it's like rails. It keeps us in line. You know, we're going to talk about a path. You know, we wander off. The fear of the Lord is what can bring us back onto that path. In verse 8, it says, Hear my son, your father's instruction. So here we, we see the father and the son. And again, 
In Hebrew, this could be a teacher talking to the students as well. And like I mentioned, we must make choices, and it's clearly we're not always going to make the right choices. When we make choices, we as believers understand the need for personal repentance and the promise of God for those who truly do repent. And there's very good imagery for this in Proverbs chapter 1. Turn over to verse 20. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20. There's great imagery here of what repentance is. Verse 10 to 19, the father is instructing the son to stay away from the gangs. Stop away from, stay away from gangs that are enticing you with free money and free things that you didn't earn. So the father is exhorting. And then, as you can see in verse 20, wisdom becomes personified and wisdom steps into the conversation. Verse 20 says, wisdom shouts in the streets. She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. Verse 22, how long, O naive ones, will you love simplicity? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. And there's a lot that's here. Wisdom being personified is shouting in the street. She's not hiding. She's not in the dark shadows. She is out in the middle of the street, and she is professing this message. And she sarcastically asks in verse 22, how long, O naive ones? It's not a, <clears throat> it's not a real question. It's, it's sarcasm. I've given you time. You've been listening to me. How long are you going to stay in your naivety? How long are you going to remain uncommitted to my wisdom? And that's the folly of, of someone that's naive. They're not committed. And she says, how long? We see a progression of sin from the naive, verse 22, to scoffers, to fools. But then here's the imagery, his repentance. Turn to my reproof. Right? Repentance. You're walking this way, you turn and you're going this way. Wisdom is saying, stop going this way, turn and go this way. It's a beautiful picture of repentance. Leave your foolishness and commit to learning wisdom. And if you do, here's wisdom's promise. It's in the second half of 23 and 24. It says, behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. You've repented. It's true repentance. God opens your eyes. And we see it in Proverbs. We think about it all the time in the New Testament. We see it right here. God will pour his spirit on you. He'll open your eyes to what wisdom is teaching. Wisdom is doing the teaching and correcting. So there's one more truth I want to look at before we get to to chapter 9. And it's wisdom's credentials. Why should we listen to wisdom? Wisdom is shouting in the streets. Why do we listen? Other other than the fact that it's, it's scripture and it's breathed out by God. But why? Why wisdom? Turn to chapter 8, if you would. As we were talking about Proverbs tonight and Psalms, this is a gem. That The first time I saw it, this is excellent. I love this. You know, Solomon, the inspiration of God, gave us this. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 22. Wisdom is speaking here. Wisdom says, the Lord possessed me. At the beginning of his way, before his works of old, from everlasting I was established, from the beginning, from the earliest of times of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While he had not yet made the earth and the fields, nor the first dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he inscribed a circle on the face of the deep, 
when he made firm the skies above, when the springs of the deep became fixed, when he set for the sea its boundary, so that the water should not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him as a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the world, his earth, and having my delight in the sons of men. This is the credentials of wisdom. We can hear God speaking to Job, right? And God saying, Job, where were you when I set the foundations of the earth? And wisdom can say, I was there. It's like the wisdom of of, of an older gentleman that's lived a life, that's had a lot of lessons, that's learned many things. We look at the person and we say, we can learn from his wisdom. Wisdom was saying that I was at the beginning of creation. I was there. I saw it. So that, that's, her, that's her credentials. Verse 32. She has her credentials and she says, Now therefore, O sons, listen to me. Could it be any clearer for any one of us that we are, we are commanded, we are obligated to listen to wisdom's instruction? Now, O sons, listen to me. So chapter 9. Here in chapter 9 we have wisdom. Essentially, wisdom is going to be pitted against Lady Folly. You have Lady Wisdom pitted against Lady Folly. Both are trying to gain the allegiance of the youth or the naive. We see a plea from Lady Wisdom in verses 1 through 6. And we see a plea from Lady Folly in verses 13 through 17. And again, this is vivid imagery of their respective houses and and the ladies that live there. I'll read verses 1 through 6 again. It says, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. She has prepared her food. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her maidens. She calls from the tops of the heights of the city. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. To him who lacks understanding, she says, Come, eat of my food and drink of the wine I have mixed. Forsake your folly and live and proceed in the way of understanding. First thing we see here is wisdom has built her house. And it's a big house. You know, it's seven pillars, seven columns. I don't think there's anything specific to do with the fact that it's seven. I think it's just the fact that this is a big house. Right? Wisdom is standing there and she's built this house. And it's a magnificent house. She has worked diligently. She has preferred... Prepared her food, verse 2. The ESV, if you have that, says she has slaughtered her beasts. I, I, I like that imagery better. You know, she has slaughtered her beasts. The image of a slaughtering of the fatted calf. It's the best of preparations that she's done. Meat was scarce in those times. So when you see it, it probably is a pretty important occasion that's taking place. It says she has also set her table. Picture a banquet setting. This is, this is, what, this is what Solomon wants to see. It's a banquet setting. You know, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, Donald Trump was having dinner with the queen. And if you think about what that table must look like, you know, the queen's table, a massive table, all the candles, all the silverware, all the plates, the best of linen. That's what this looks like. I mean, I, I kind of joke when I when I if I picture myself sitting down at that table, I'm breaking some etiquette that night. I don't know enough of what's going on with all that. I got B's and D's. I got the bread on this side and the water on this side. And that's it. That's all I know. Eat from the outside in on the silverware. This is wisdom's house. It's a banquet and she's put a lot of effort into it. A lot of diligence. Verse 3. She sent out her maidens. She calls from the tops of the heights of the city. This is a general call. Wisdom sends out her maidens. She sends them out to deliver this message. Right? 
Verse 4 says, whoever is naive, let him turn in here. This is an emphatic statement. It's an urgent plea. Wisdom is pleading to come into this house. Pleading. Verse 4, the naive. We've talked about it. These are the easily led. They're not yet committed. They're not committed to wisdom. And they're not committed to folly. Right? They are uncommitted. Gullible. That's why it can be translated gullible. It can pull in any direction. The word whoever, we see that this is extended to a mass of people. It's a large group. It's whoever. It's a general call. But then to him, it says to him who lacks understanding, it breaks it down to the individual person. Ultimately, we are all responsible. The general call goes out. We are responsible. It's an individual for listening to the call and adhering the call. Verse 5. Come, eat of my food and drink of the wine I have mixed. Come. Again, it's an urgent appeal. It's an imperative statement. You're not given an option. Come. This is what you need to do. Eat of my food. This is, this is a metaphor, obviously. It's metaphorically saying, accept wisdom's teaching. Eat of my food. Accept the teachings that I'm going to share. Verse 6. Forsake your folly and live. And here it is again. It's a picture of repentance. Forsake your folly. You've been walking this way, and you need to walk this way. You need to come. You need to forsake it. And it's not just your foolish ways. It's not just the foolishness. It's all those that you are hanging out with that are fools, that are not committed to wisdom. You need to walk away from it all and turn into my house. What's the result? You will live and proceed in the way of understanding. And again, we're to see here that Lady Wisdom is in direct opposition to Lady Folly. We see this begin in verse 13. Verse 13, so let's go over there. We'll We'll look at Folly in her house. Verse 13 says, The woman of Folly is boisterous. She's just loud. We've all heard somebody like that. They're just loud. Right? She's boisterous. In contrast, Lady Wisdom has been diligent. She built her house herself. She's prepared the feast. She slaughtered the beast. She is diligent. Lady Folly is just loud. And she also is just like the people she's hoping to attract. She is naive, it says. End of 13, she is naive and knows nothing. She has no moral qualities at all to offer anyone. Verse 14 says, And she sits at the doorway of her house, on a seat by the high places of the city. 15, calling to those who pass by, who are making their pastorates. Again, in comparison, wisdom has built her house and it's a big house. Wisdom's character is hardworking, diligent, and fruitful. But what does folly do? Verse 14, she sits. That's it. She sits. Her character is laziness. She's not doing anything. She's not working diligently for anything. It does say that her seat is by the high places. And most often when you see, or you think of the, of the word seat, it's, it's in reference to a place of honor. You know, you have seats at colleges, you have seats at universities, seats in the government. It's typically something well-earned, but there's no reason to see that here. She is an imposter at best. She is lazy, naive, knows nothing, and just sits. That's Lady Folly. And who is it that she's sending her messages to? Verse 15. She's calling to those who pass by who are making their paths straight. She's calling to those who are not looking for her. It's people that are going from point A to point B. 
We do that every day. We go from point A to B, point B. We're walking down that path. And she reaches out. And she catches their attention. She's boisterous. She's loud. Folly has no control over us at all until she gets our attention. And we have sinful hearts. There are many things that get our attention. Right? So she gets our attention. So those are making her path straight. They're just, they're not looking for her. My wife and I talked about this yesterday as we were talking about this. And it's how often do we start our day praying that the Holy Spirit will protect us from these unanticipated attempts by sin to drag our attention away? It's a myriad. You have to look at your own days. Think about them. You have to reflect back on them. It's a hard thing to do. Reflect back on your day and say, all right, where did I fall short? But that's what we need to do. The audience is similar. Look at this. Notice that it's identical. Look at verse 4 and verse 16. Verse 4 and 16 say the exact same thing. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks understanding, she says, identical. Wisdom and folly. But the rewards for the following their call are completely different. What does folly offer? Stolen water is sweet. That's what she offers. It certainly can mean sexual pleasures outside of marriage, which was addressed in Proverbs chapter 5. Or it could simply mean any type of sinful desire that catches your attention. Stolen water is sweet. You didn't work for it. You didn't earn it. And bread eaten in, in secret is pleasant. That's what she offers. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Both wisdom and folly are offering a meal. Wisdom is offering the finest of everything. The finest meat. The finest wine. And folly is offering stolen water and bread. You know what's really sad here? This is the only effort that folly needs to put in to fill her house with the vast majority of everybody that lives on this planet. She is filling her house. And she's not doing anything. But what is she doing? She's offering what sinful hearts want. Something for free. Something sweet. Immediate gratification. We can all get caught in it. She's filling her house with it. And there's something else. There's another reason why folly fills her house. She fills her house because she doesn't demand anything. She didn't ask anything of us. Look at verse 6 again. Wisdom is commanding us to repent. She is telling us to leave everything and everyone behind that is not committed to wisdom. That's not easy. Repentance is not easy. It's necessary and and it's, it's a blessing from God. It's a gift, but it's not always easy. Most times it's not. Wisdom is is commanding it. Folly's asking nothing. She would never ask you to do something that's uncomfortable. The consequences of of our choices are also different. Verse 6 says, choose wisdom and what? Choose wisdom and live. Verse 18 says, but he does not know that the dead are there. That her, that's follies, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. And look at verse 18. It's not folly talking. We've seen folly talk in verse 16 and verse 17. But verse 18, we're back to wisdom. This is wisdom talking. Folly would never consider the consequences of her actions. Either she doesn't know the consequences, or she simply doesn't care. Either way, wisdom will tell you the consequences. But folly is not not going to. It's a key point. 
It's a key point because acting with wisdom means that we must consider the consequences of our actions. How often do we say that? We see other people fall. We say they didn't consider the consequences of their actions. We need to take that seriously to ourselves. We need to consider the consequences of our actions. And we must understand that the consequences of the choices that we make, and we're making choices all day long, we've got to understand the consequences. So we've seen wisdom's invitation. We've seen folly's invitation. If we back up uh, to verse 7, and we can briefly look at the responses that can be expected when wisdom's truths are presented. When we present wisdom, people are going to react one way or another. And that's what we see in verse 7. So 7 through 9 says, He who corrects a scoffer gets dishonor for himself. And he who reproves a wicked man gets insults for himself. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will increase his learning. We understand that when we share the gospel, there's a very good chance that the initial reaction isn't going to be pleasant. Many will initially scoff at the need to recognize their sin and the need to repent and believe in Christ. They'll scoff at it. It says, you reprove a wicked man, and you can expect insults. Reprove a scoffer, and he will hate you. Let's take this a step further. We know, and it's it's coming, but we don't have it here yet. There are churches around the world that are under life-threatening persecution And it's precisely because they refuse to stop sharing not only the good news of the gospel, but the exclusivity of it. The fact that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation will cause scoffing. They are so committed to this truth that they are willing to stand against the threat of personal harm to share God's wisdom. No amount of scoffing or mockery is going to deter them. But that's the truth of Proverbs here. They're mocking it to the point where they're going to bring persecution because of it. The opposite response. Second half of verse 8 and verse 9 says, Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase his learning. I think one of the real values of this section is to put it as a mirror so that we can look back at ourselves. When someone comes to correct you, How do you respond? Do you put up a defense? Does your inner lawyer start defending you? You know, is that how, is that what's welling up inside you? Or do you react with humility? Right? Do, do Do you take it for what it's worth as it's love coming from a brother or sister when they're trying to correct you? And that doesn't mean they're always going to be right. Right? They're not always going to be right. But sometimes they are. How do we react when we're in that situation? Some, like I say, sometimes they're going to be right. Especially, I mean, if it's coming from an elder, I'll put it out there that if it comes from your spouse. How do we react when we're corrected? Do we do it in humility? That's obviously what we want to be doing. I think we're just always asking ourselves, how can I be more teachable? We need to be. There isn't anybody here. We all need to be more teachable. We all have learning to be, to be done. Verse 11 and 12 are the results to whether instruction is accepted or it's refused. Verse 11, for by me, and that's wisdom, your days will be multiplied and years of life will be added to you. 
Now, as are many of the promises of Proverbs, this is generally true. It's generally true that God will bless righteous decisions. But there must, however, be room for God's wisdom to know what's best for us. But it's generally true. Verse 12 says, if you are wise, you are wise for yourself. And this is a positive statement. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. It's not a negative statement like in Proverbs 3, 7, which says, do not be wise in your own eyes. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. Talks about personal result, personal consequences, personal results. As an example, and we talked about it tonight earlier. As an example, we here at FBC, we're a family, right? Anything that you do affects everybody else, right? That's how families work, right? We are are a family. But if you personally accept wisdom, you alone will ultimately benefit, The opposite is also true. If you personally reject wisdom, then you alone ultimately one day will bear the consequence. That's what this is saying. You are wise for yourself. You are wise for yourself. And if you scoff, you alone will bear it. As mentioned earlier, the overarching theme of Proverbs is the fear of the Lord. And we see it here again in verse 10. Verse 10 says... The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There isn't a secular university in the world that will teach this truth. That the beginning of knowledge and the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. We live in an increasingly light-hearted society. We, we have increasingly light-hearted, soft evangelicalism. How many churches are actually teaching this truth concerning the fear of the Lord? And yet it's the beginning. You can't go anywhere without it. It's the beginning. Jesus said in Luke 12, verses 4 and 5, Jesus said, But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who after he has has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Having this reverential fear of God inside of us is a gift from God. It's a blessing. Because he opened our eyes to who he is and who we are before him. And I I thought I would share just a couple of examples for for myself as far as when I see the fear of the Lord working in me. And one of them is teaching. I remember the first time Debbie asked me to cover her class. It's like the weight of the world goes on your shoulders. Because God's serious about his teaching of his word. He's serious about his kids. Right? He's... Where's kids? He's serious about it. Standing here, saying, thus says the Lord. There should be a reverential fear of God when we come to teach. And it doesn't matter what's two or three years, the twos or threes, or anywhere in between. But it matters to God. It has to matter to us. And the second time I feel this, tremendously, as at corporate communion. When we take communion, it is a weighty time. When we think about our sin put on Christ that brought him to the cross, God takes this time seriously. Right? We need to have a fear of the Lord. I mean, sometimes we let the elements go by because we know that God takes it seriously. The last example I had when I was thinking through this is the fear of the Lord in me when I consider standing before God and giving a response to how I've been accountable for leading my family. The thought of him laying out all the times that I fell short, it's almost overwhelming. 
And all I can say is praise God we live on this side of the cross. We teach that truth and wisdom only comes from God. No one else in our society is going to teach this. The society we live in has no understanding of what this weightiness of the fear of the Lord is. Like Terry's been preaching in Romans 9 and 10. He says God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. He is God and we are not. We've heard it again and again. He is God and we are not. And this must lead us to a reverence for him and acceptance of his truths. It's the fear of the Lord in us that motivates us to avoid these temptations of folly that come at us every day. So how do we do this? How do we maintain our walk in the right path? As Tim mentioned to us a couple of weeks ago, we need to know Christ better. We need to know Christ better. We need to renew our minds through his word daily, renewing of our minds in order to keep us on the right path when temptations come and they will come. They come constantly. It's only Jesus Christ that can say, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Wisdom is great and wisdom is necessary. And we can, and she can say that she was president at creation, but only Christ can say, I was the creator. Wisdom was there, but Christ did the creating. It's only in Christ that we can have victory over this misleading and empty pleasures presented by folly. We need Jesus Christ. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. May we remain committed to grow in wisdom and understanding, to receive correction with a humble heart, and be thankful for the gift of repentance. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we've had this day, Lord, where we've been able to, uh, the blessing of being in your house, Lord, to hear your word preached, to hear songs sung. Lord, we pray that it was honoring and glorifying to you. But I pray that you would instill in each one of us the fear of who you are, Lord, to keep us on the path, to build on our understanding. Lord, may we have humble hearts. May we be willing to receive instruction and correction. And may that be noticed by the world around us. For your glory, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.